We invite our children to be dismissed now for their time of worship. We wish them a happy new year as they begin a new year of studying faith and scripture and what it means to be the people of God. Let's bow together and pray. May we also in this room think and study and pray together about what it means to be your people, O God. It would be far too easy to just let the preacher preach, let the choir sing, to go through all of these rituals and feel like we've done our duty when, in fact, we've gathered here to center ourselves in you, to receive our marching orders for how to think and live and act and react, be the people of deep and abiding faith, the people that you are calling and counting on to do your transforming work of love in this world. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. One of my closest pastor friends is a guy who's been here a number of times. His name is Kyle Childress, only he would say Kyle Childress because Kyle's from West Texas. Last time we were together, Kyle described this old rancher he knew from his home church whose face was permanently sunburned and lined from decades of living his life outside. Kyle said he had developed a perpetual squint, whether it was daylight or dark, whether he was indoors or out, it looked as if he were squinting, looking off into the horizon for some, at some pasture for a stray cow as he looked into the face of a glaring sun or the sand of the West Texas wind. Kyle said squinting shaped his face. And squinting shaped the way he looked at everything. Advent is about developing a perpetual squint, a certain way of looking at the world that is different than the way the rest of the world looks at itself. It's not a look of judgment. It's not a look of disgust. It's an inquisitive look. It's a watching and waiting look. It's, it's a look that that is relentless in looking for the detail and the clue of where Christ is coming. Advent is about the coming. Literally, it means the coming. And in the church, we've been taught to look in three directions, if you will, or to look in three different tenses for Christ. We've been taught to look at Christ in the past and Christ in the future, But what we have too often failed to do is think about Christ in this present. Even though the church has always told us, Christ has died, Christ is come, Christ is coming again. That's the witness of the church. And so we do. We we talk about Jesus 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem at Christmas time. We talk about the future someday the beautiful words that Handel put to uh, his great work, the Messiah, from the book of Revelation. The kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God, and God shall reign forever and ever. But we also talk about the coming of Christ to renew our lives 
right here and now, in this present status quo world. The passage that I read to you from Mark 13 was used in my boyhood to talk about the future Jesus, the someday Jesus, but I think Jesus was talking to every generation about his coming, about the call to look and watch and wait and be alert. For I'm coming, you don't know when. So what I say to you, I say to all, to every generation, keep awake. So we squint and we hold these three tenses of Christ's coming in our minds all the time. We stay awake, we squint, and we get our house ready and watch and wait because the master, Christ, is coming. But we wouldn't be being honest in church if we didn't also say, sometimes this is really hard. You have to squint really hard sometimes. And as I look out at you and know your stories, I know we've each had seasons where we've had to look and squint so hard to hang on to a modicum of faith. Because the reality is this world Globally and individually in our lives, this world is a lot of times a big mess. We get what Malcolm read for us from the prophet Isaiah. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down and then the mountains would shake at your presence. God, get down here, please. This world is such a mess. I only have to say the words Ferguson, Missouri. For you and me to know that This world we live in is a mess. You have to squint to see the hope. I heard of a pastor in Ferguson who has that capacity to squint and see the hope. His name is Willis Johnson. He's the pastor of Wellspring Church in Ferguson. He was interviewed on NPR the day after there was a no indictment. And he said, this community and its people... And frankly, this pastor, we're tired. We're tired. It's a challenge to be hopeful when you're faced with the disturbing and dispiriting things that we've been faced with for these last 107 days. It's hard to sit in your home and watch things around you take a blaze and ask yourself, what good is in all this? And yet, yes, I am hopeful. I believe that there is still a better day to come. To squint. To see. To to have biblical hope. This one young African American man from Ferguson said, I want to see a better forever. This, it feels to me, is the most important work the church does is to bear the hope into the world. In a hopeless world, to announce again and again, not just pious platitudes about God, but the biblical hope that God is not done. To squint and watch and live, to live with such expectation that any minute Christ might break in and to have the capacity to name it, to point to it, in order to help others see it too. Because, folks, it's there. It's real. It's not just church talk. It's real. 
The presence of Christ is here and among us. Jesus said it. I am with you always. And those who have the eyes to see, the ears to hear, they pick up on it. And part of what we do on a Sunday morning is not just go through ritual. We're naming the truth. And we're practicing the truth. So that when we go out, back out to the mess, not that there's not a mess in here sometimes, but when we go back out to the mess, we've got a word to say, a hope to give, a life to give witness to. We recognize that this hope is the world's fuel That the world runs on hope and that if hope is lost, if it either fails or dies, that our human energy diminishes and sometimes evaporates altogether. It's hope that keeps us moving towards something more, towards something more coherent, more beautiful, more, more real than what we have now. And we say the name for that is God. Others may not have that name, that word, that, art, that idea. But it's okay. Whether or not it's named explicitly, it still is God. We recognize, as I said last week, we live in the end times. Not end in a chronological way, but rather end in a kairos kind of time way, where things bring, come to fulfillment, where things have a more redemptive purpose, where there's growth and where good, where good, where God can be present even in the midst of the bad. Because let us never presume that if we do this life right, we can somehow avoid the bad, the sad, the unpleasant, the unfortunate, Life doesn't work that way. As I said to some friends earlier, life is not fair. But in the midst of it, God is present. I heard it last week in a story on NBC about a 21-year-old man named Matt Heisler. It's one of these stories that catches my mind immediately because it was a story about Matt's death last year in an apartment fire. This Thanksgiving was his family's first holiday without him, and we know that pain. But the story was about what Matt did when he was 16 years old, five years earlier. The day that he had gone to get his driver's license, there was that little box that you have the option of ch- to check that says, I'm willing, should something happen to me, for my organs to be harvested, and I, c- I would be a donor of my organs to another person. That's amazing that a 16-year-old would check that. It says, in effect, life is about more than just me. Well, Matt had checked that box, and so... Last year when he died in that fire, they were able to take some of his organs and allow others to live. And so the Heisler family, on the week of Thanksgiving, got to do something they would have never imagined being able to do. They met a 71-year-old man named Tom Meeks. Tom was a Vietnam veteran, 
a grandfather of four, and he is alive today because Matt's heart is beating inside of his chest. NBC showed the meeting of this family and this man. They just let the camera roll and there be this silence as they looked at each other, as they hugged, as they talked. And then as one by one, the, the sister and then the parents put on the stethoscope and listened to the heartbeat inside this man, the, the heart of their brother and son. And you thought at the very same moment, at the very same moment, how painful and how beautiful. Right at the same moment, how painful and how beautiful. And through tear-filled eyes, you could tell this family squinting could see a hope, a reality, that there was beauty born in the midst of tragedy. These are the eyes we try to cultivate week in and week out in this community of faith. Flannery O'Connor, that great southern novelist, wrote a letter to a friend about her debilitating lupus. She said to her friend, I can, with one eye squinted, take it all as blessing. Take it all as blessing. Yes. Take it all as blessing. In other words, there's grace amidst the tragedy. There's hope. There's God. You squint, you see it, and you announce it to yourself and to those around you that God is not done. Flannery O'Connor, through her pain and suffering, said, God is with us. That pastor in Ferguson said, in essence, we've got to do this work of love together to overcome what Ched Myers called the imperial coma that we live in. That acts as if everything's right, when everything isn't right, when the strands of racism permeate the world we live in, to find this hope that even as we long for more, even as we look for God, the truth is God is looking for us. God's looking for us. To bear this hope to name this hope, to embody this hope, and experience the mystery of incarnation, Christmas, not just Jesus as the Son of God, but taking Jesus' message that the divinity, the sacredness, is implanted in each and every one of us, that heaven and earth are united, and that we humans have the seeds of the sacred deep within us. In other words... We can bear the hope of the world in the name of Christ. Pastor Johnson from Ferguson's Wellspring Church said, Somehow we've got to keep giving it our best and doing our best. He said, I don't mean to offend anybody, but we've got to figure out how we can literally love the hell out of people. Love the hell out of systems. Love the hell out of circumstances. We got to love this thing forward. Oh my. Richard Rohr said that to expect the world and people and institutions to be perfect is to refuse to live in the Advent hope. For hope 
is about seeing God in all things and in all circumstances. This kind of hope would be something to behold, something to celebrate. And it's right here. Let's pray together. Heal our eyes, O God, that we may see your presence and announce it with our very lives. I pray for Highland at this beginning of the new year, for our sister churches up and down the street and all around our city, for churches of all kinds around the world, that the hope of Advent, that you are not done, might not just be sung and ritualized, but might be actualized in our very lives. For you are the hope of the world. This we pray in the name of your word made flesh, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.